Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by my favorite college in America, Hillsdale College, which proudly refuses every penny of government funding to remain independent. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. It's all quiet in the underground bunker. Doors closed, locks bolted. But the great one isn't just resting on his laurels. He's making sure your weekend is even better by giving you his best. This is the best of Mark Levin. Well, America, this is what happens. This is what happens. When you appease and sell out to the enemy. Now, as I've been saying all weekend on Fox, the first to say it, Somebody had to say it. Now it's being repeated, and that's a good thing. Joe Biden rearmed the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran. Joe Biden rearmed the Hamas, Hezbollah, Nazi terrorist groups. Joe Biden rearmed the Palestinian terrorists. In every way possible. The Democrat Party is trying to put a man in prison for the rest of his life. You may have heard of him, Donald Trump. Who literally changed the Middle East. I don't mean he made evil genocidal maniacs peaceniks. He had his foot on their throats. He killed Soleimani, the head of the Iranian Republican Guard. He killed the head of ISIS. He cut off the Palestinians because they wouldn't. They wouldn't give up terrorism. And he said, we're not going to use one American cent, which they can claim is for refugees in order to build up their terror operation. He cut them off. Just like the border, just like so much else, Joe Biden comes in office as the anti-Trump. Whatever Trump did, he had to reverse. So he reversed it all. So we've gone from peace breaking out in the Middle East, literally, two and a half, three years ago, unimaginable, success, a policy of success. That should have been embraced and continued. And he went back to Obama's policy. What was Obama's policy? Obama's policy was to weaken Israel, to empower Iran, create what he and the people now around Biden, those are his people, considered the remaking of that region of the world. Where Israel and Iran would be a Pretty much equal powers. Both would have nuclear weapons. And look what they've done. In Afghanistan, the Afghanis have to pay the price. Look what's happened. 
And in the Middle East, the Jews are paying the price. Americans are paying the price. There are 200,000 Americans in Israel. Where's Joe Biden today? We don't know. Where was Joe Biden last evening? He was having a barbecue. And so now the Obama staff working for Joe Biden is setting policy, putting out propaganda, working their left-wing media, working their liberals to blame everything, of course, on Netanyahu. Of course, everybody wants to know how this happened. But that's not what the liberals are saying. How did this happen? That is, the left-wing Marxists, so many of whom hate our country and hate the state of Israel. Maybe it was because the radical left-wing minority parties in Israel, aligned with Joe Biden, were in the midst of a civil war against the Netanyahu government. Maybe that was a distraction. Maybe the call for the IDF to rise up and strike against the Netanyahu government. Maybe that was a distraction. Maybe the endless effort by Joe Biden to undermine Netanyahu's authority. He'd have everybody and anybody over at the White House, president of Costa Rica, doesn't matter. But he treated Netanyahu like a dog. Two weeks ago, the Israelis and the Saudis were within an eyelash of having a peace deal. Never even imagined that would have changed the Middle East in a profound way. But Biden and 20 Democrat senators, including the most radical among them, said no. Not unless they concede a significant amount of land to the Palestinians. So he held it up, Biden. Netanyahu said, no, I don't think we're going to do that. We have a problem. You might, you might have heard of it. It's called the Gaza Strip. No, you're going to concede land. So Biden was already in the midst. You haven't heard any of this today. It's amazing. Already in the midst of sabotaging what would have been an incredible deal between Saudi Arabia and Israel, he and his party. But here's the problem now. There's a war. And it's a major war. It's a big deal war. And Israel can't lose. If Israel loses, Israel will cease to exist. And you see what's happened so far? With these bloodthirsty subhumans who target the innocent, babies, old ladies, old men, including survivors of the Holocaust, taken away to the other side of the border into Gaza. Can you imagine? They purposely attack first and foremost this music festival. 
where there's a large number of teenagers and young people and grab the girls, kidnap them, take them to the Gaza Strip where they're going to be raped over and over again. Decapitating IDF soldiers they capture. And let me tell you something. Most of the IDF soldiers are civilians who spent a year, two, three in the military there. They're very young. 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. They're very young. The Hamas Nazis are using ISIS tactics. They're torturing soldiers. They're torturing civilians. They're dragging them through the streets. They're putting babies in cages. I have posted relentlessly. Relentlessly on my social sites. So you can see what's taking place and also what has taken place in the recent past. It's going to get worse before it gets better, America. We have a Hamas wing of the Democrat Party who get an enormous amount of attention from the corporate media who hate America, who hate our military, who hate our law enforcement, who hate our founding, who hate the Jews, and not just in Israel, Jews, period. They're Marxists. Marxists have always hated the Jews, among everybody else. Tell me, who are the Jew haters among the Republicans in Congress? There aren't any. How about Republicans in the Senate? There aren't any. Joe Biden has always been of two minds when it comes to Israel. But he's always of two minds, even though he doesn't have one. He's never been a great supporter, but he's never really made it a big issue. And so he, in the Obama reprobates, he surrounds himself with, I want you to remember, Blinken was deputy Secretary of State under Obama. This guy Sherman, another Obama guy. They're all Obama people. Obama was, and is in my view, an anti-Semite. Interfered with the Israeli election, much as Biden's interfered with the Israeli election. As far as I know, as of right now, Obama hasn't even put out a statement. Hasn't even put out a statement. Oh, half hour ago. Two and a half days later, what did it say? We ought to come together, show restraint, see if we can de-escalate. Something like that, Rich? Pretty much. Because that's the party in that line now, in the Hamas wing of the Democrat Party. What has the Democrat Party done to put down its hate America, Hamas, anti-Semitic wing of the party. Not a damn thing. 
Has Schumer condemned them? No. Has Hakeem Jeffries condemned them? No. Did Nancy Pelosi condemn them? No. Now, some Jewish Democrats in the House and others more sympathetic to Israel have said things, but the leadership of the Democrat Party has said nothing. What about accountability? Accountability. As I said right out of the box when I was on Saturday on Fox, this $6 billion issue not only is the Biden administration lying and trying to get people confused and the media regurgitating what he was saying, I had to put an end to that. And you can see now people are standing up to this. It's not just that money is fungible. Why the hell would we give $6 billion two weeks ago to a regime that wanted to assassinate Mike Pompeo and John Bolton or any American? It says hate to America while it's building intercontinental ballistic missiles with nuclear warheads. But it's even worse. $6 billion in ransom. Obama paid... Almost $2 billion in cash and ransom. Well, the enemy sees these things, and they see weakness. They see opportunity. They see exploitation. But for two and a half years, in total secret, Biden and his people have been negotiating with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. And their chief negotiator is a well-known Iranian sympathizer. And his classification was pulled a few months ago, and he was yanked. Obama, another Obama guy. And Biden was begging the Iranians to come to the table, begging them to take anything he would give them. And among other things, he waived a sanction against them, and that handed them $10 billion. Among other things, he wouldn't enforce the oil sanctions that Donald Trump put in place. That gave him about $60 billion. Let's see, 60 and 10, $70 billion? So $6 billion is chump change. But when you're giving billions and billions of dollars, I don't care if you're giving them billions and billions of dollars to buy lollipops. When in fact, they threaten the life of a former Secretary of State. And they threaten to destroy your own country. You're a buffoon. You're insane. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. 
Making your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. When Israel was attacked during Yom Kippur 50 years and a few days ago, they were surrounded, they were caught off guard, they were losing territory. They quickly reorganized, pushed back on every front. They took the Golan Heights. They took the Sinai Peninsula. They moved east into Jordan. Back then, the man who ran Iran was a dictator, but he was our ally, the Shah of Iran. He actually helped Israel. But we couldn't have a dictator in the Middle East, you know, under Jimmy Carter. The Shah of Iran was pressured to let the Ayatollah Khomeini to return from his five-star hotel in Europe. And he returned. He overthrew the Shah. They took over the country. They slaughtered tens of thousands of Iranians. And they took our embassy staff hostage. That's what Carter unleashed in the Middle East, among other things. Before Reagan was sworn in as President of the United States, the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran released the American hostages as fast as they could. Because they knew Reagan would bomb them to smithereens. Ultimately, the Israelis entered into various quote-unquote peace deals. Sinai Peninsula was given back to the Egyptians. But during that battle, the Israeli army was 50 miles from Cairo. They'd crossed the Sinai Peninsula. There was nothing to stop them. Then Brezhnev the old Brezhnev or the old Soviet Union contacts Nixon. Because Egypt was a client state of the Soviet Union. And he says, we're going in. This has to stop. Nixon said, no, you're not going in. Or we're going in. Over the years, I've talked to people who were involved in that. And they said that their bombers, literally, several of their bombers, based in Germany, took conventional bombs and replaced them with some nuclear bombs. This nation was put on a full nuclear alert. 
Israel, which could have literally conquered Egypt and destroyed Cairo, pulled back. The Soviet Union pulled back and we pulled back. In the meantime, when that war broke off, Nixon calls in Kissinger. 24 hours, less than 24 hours after they're under attack, and he says to Kissinger, what do the Israelis need? He tells them what the Israelis need, and Nixon says, double it. As fast as you can. I heard Biden speak today, give a very patriotic speech. He didn't fool me. With a carrier group in the Mediterranean, perhaps a second one. And I kept listening. Okay. What else? We're going to replace their munitions with whatever they want. Okay. What else? Nothing. Now, ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you a little secret? Iran is using Hamas. That's the Muslim Brotherhood. They're not even the same Muslims as the Muslims in Iran. Hamas is using its own people. Why? Because they're Nazis. They don't care. Joe Biden created this situation. Oh, he didn't create terrorism per se. He didn't create Hamas per se. He didn't even create the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran per se. He didn't create Hezbollah per se. But they were all in their cages. Like animals. And the prior administration in this country, Donald Trump's administration who they're trying to put in prison as I speak. Trying to put him in prison as I speak. Because Trump showed strength. He took out Soleimani, who's responsible for all the deaths and casualties of Americans in Iraq. He took out Baghdadi, the head of ISIS. He drew a real red line in Syria, and the Russians had to respect it. Obama drew a red line, and they couldn't, they couldn't pass it over and over and over again fast enough. Talk is cheap. Even stupid talk. Even incoherent talk. Biden rebuilt Iran's military. Biden put tens of billions of dollars into their bank accounts. I don't care that MSNBC has become the propagandists for the Nazis on the one hand, and the Neville Chamberlain of the Biden administration on the other hand. Look at their lineup. Look at their lineup. CNN 
pretty much the same thing. Pretty much the same thing. I heard Mark Warner, the chairman, the Democrat, Virginia, of the Senate Intelligence Committee, and Neil Cavuto was doing a pretty good job letting him have it. I was proud of Neil. Sometimes he and I certainly don't agree, but he was, he was pressing right there. All they can keep doing is saying the $6 billion is not available to Iran. You gave $6 billion to Iran. I don't care in what form or where it sits. When they were plotting to assassinate Mike Pompeo? When they're building nuclear weapons? Why are you giving them anything? You should be crushing their economy. But, as I keep saying, and as I'm the one who started to say, okay, great, put aside the $6 billion. What about the $70 billion? What about it, boys? What about it, Joe Scarborough? Are you the biggest punk of a whole host of punks over there at MSNBC? You are a disgrace, particularly at a time like this. Your head's so far up Biden's ass, it's coming out of his right nostril. So now, after that tough speech that we will back Israel, period. Here in Politico, U.S. calls for proportionate Israeli response while not openly setting red lines. We support Israel taking necessary and proportionate action to defend its country and protect its people, said National Security spokes idiot Adrian Watson. What the hell does that mean? We were in Afghanistan for 21 years. Was that a proportionate response? The Biden administration created this situation to begin with. They betrayed the people of Israel as they have the people of the United States. And they have suffered mightily. And we've seen it. And it's not some sick, grotesque movie. It happened and it's happening. So my wife Julie says, what does proportionate response mean? So the Israelis should behead babies? Rape women? Grab grandmothers and grandfathers and drag them over the border? Threaten to execute them? Is that what they mean at the White House by a proportionate response? Because that's a proportionate response. I want to tell you something. We're going to have a guest on the program at the bottom of the hour. And this gentleman is really with a very small group. A very small group. And he sees all the protests taking place in this country, the Students for Justice in Palestine. Every media outlet has reported what they have said and what they're doing, every one of them. At MSNBC, the Hamas wing of MSNBC, very supportive of them. The Hamas wing, the Nazi wing, I should say, of the Democrat Party, protesting with them. Well, who are they? Who are they? I decided to take a look today. The hell is this group? Sounds like they're running a bunch of Confucius Institutes in America. 
Here's what they found. The Students for Justice in Palestine Network serves as the leading student arm of the BDS boycott, divestment, sanctions movement in the United States. They're not, as they claim, a grassroots student organization. It is a terror-affiliated, anti-Semitic network that currently operates with autonomy and impunity at colleges and universities across the United States. It has adopted a policy of, quote, anti-normalization, unquote, of relations with Zionist groups and most Jewish organizations, with the exception of the equally radical anti-Zionist and pro-BDS Jewish Voice for America. And by the way, a footnote. Mr. Ramaswamy. Remember when you said Israel needs to stand on its own two feet? And the various cultures need to assimilate? Remember that, Mr. Producer? And he called me that weekend and he said, uh, what is the issue here? I said, you don't understand the Middle East. It's impossible for the cultures to assimilate. And then he went off and said it again. Students for Justice in Palestine advances their proprietary view of Palestinian justice by undertaking initiatives to isolate, demonize, and ultimately destroy the state of Israel. Many students and university administrations have treated them as a pro-Palestinian equivalent to the pro-Israel student groups such as Stand With Us, the Israel on Campus Coalition, or Hillel. However, as this monograph documents, obviously I can't show it to you on radio, It is an extremist organization that maintains affiliations with Arab and Islamic terror groups, is overtly anti-Semitic, incites hatred and violence against Jewish students, and rejects the existence of the state of Israel in any borders. Right here on our college campuses, like Harvard. You see the statement of the University of Virginia? Students for Palestine, justice in Palestine put out? It could have come from Hamas. For all I know, it did. It's been linked to terror groups and so forth and so on. Mark Levin. You're listening to the best of Mark Levin. Unfortunately, a man is little, who is little known to you, but is a powerful chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, is being played for a fool. And he's a Republican. I'm going to read this article to you. And this is all over the media now. I'm going to read this to you. Headline. Egypt warned Israel three days before Hamas massacre, U.S. congressman says. What? U.S. House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Michael McCall, a Republican, told reporters on Wednesday that Egypt had warned Israel three days before Hamas's assault on southern Israel that, quote, an event like this could happen, unquote, according to U.S. media. There seems to have been a failure of intelligence, he said. We're not quite sure how he missed it. We're not quite sure how Israel missed it. After a classified briefing. Classified briefing by whom? Well, obviously, U.S. intelligence. We know that Egypt had warned the Israelis three days prior that an event like this could happen. We know this event was planned perhaps as long as a year ago out of the House Foreign Affairs Committee Chairman. McCall's statements come after a series of reports that Egyptian intelligence officials had sent warnings to Israel ahead of Hamas's assault over the weekend. On Monday, the AP reported that an Egyptian intelligence official 
had said that Egypt had warned Israel repeatedly about, quote, something big, unquote, but that this warning was downplayed as, as Israeli officials were focusing on the West Bank. So Egyptian intelligence says it was downplayed because they were focused on the West Bank? We have warned them. An explosion of the situation is coming in very soon, and it would be big, but they underestimated such warnings, said the official, the Egyptian official to the AP. On Tuesday, Al Monitor reported as well that senior Egyptian officials had warned Israel of an impending attack from Gaza, but that these warnings were not specific and not brought to the prime minister's attention. Now, how would the Egyptians know that? But let's go on. On Wednesday, the Financial Times cited two unnamed officials as stating that Egyptian intelligence repeatedly warned Israel that the situation in the Gaza Strip could explode. The officials added that there was no hard intelligence about a specific attack, and this was only a general warning. Now, why would Egyptian intelligence be leaking this all over America's media and worldwide media? The prime minister's office, this is at the very end of the story. That would be Netanyahu. The prime minister's office has denied the reports, calling them, quote, absolutely false, unquote, and stressing that, quote, no message in advance has arrived from Egypt and the prime minister has neither spoken nor met with the head of Egyptian intelligence since the formation of the government, neither directly nor indirectly. Shouldn't that be the lead paragraph, Mr. Producer? So we have leaks by Egyptians to the media. Uh, We warned. We warned them what? We have three different scenarios here. And of course, it's in the best interest of United States intelligence, which of course turned on Trump and so forth and so on, to point the finger elsewhere as well. Now here's the deal, folks. This guy's the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. There's been no formal review. There's not been no interviews. There's been no, no investigation. There's been no discussion with the Israeli intelligence. We don't know what American intelligence knew or didn't know. There's been nothing. There hasn't been a hearing. Nothing. There's been a briefing. And this fool... The chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee is all over the place saying, yes, the Israelis were warned by the Egyptians. Warned of what? We have three different scenarios. Let's say they were warned of something. And by the way, as a practical matter, you always get these kinds of warnings. We get them in the United States, too. Police departments get them. The FBI gets them. State troopers get them. Everybody gets them. But that's not the point. Why would the chairman, the Republican chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee make such a definitive, conclusive statement when absolutely no review has been conducted. Because he's being played for a fool. I've never been impressed by this guy. You've probably seen him on TV. He's a big rhino. He's weak. Not a particularly high IQ. You can tell when he talks. But man, he's all over the place now. And why would he say this now when he doesn't have all the facts? Because he's being played. That's why. Maybe there was a failure of Israeli intelligence. Maybe they were told something by the Egyptians. What were they told? Who knows? Who told who? I don't know. But McCall knows everything. 
because he was briefed by our intelligence for an hour or so. He knows everything. Well, what about our intelligence? What did we know? Apparently nothing. Well, why would the Egyptians just give this to Israeli intelligence and not to even American intelligence? We have troops in the region. We have a base in the region. Why wouldn't they tell us? I don't know. There's a lot we don't know. So why would this fool come out and make a definitive statement? Now, before he has all the facts, because he's a fool, that's why. If something was missed that should have been caught, that'll be dealt with, and should be. But McCall has no idea, no idea of the full or comprehensive extent of any information. He doesn't. Because our intelligence services don't even have it. Because the Israeli intelligence and U.S. intelligence, they're going to have to be reviewed by our government and the Israeli government. Let me suggest to you right now, the Israeli government is focused on one thing and one thing only. Saving its country. Saving its country. So McCall coming out, popping off like this, without being fully informed, but we had a briefing. I don't know, did you have a briefing on Russia collusion? Did you have a briefing on the dossier? All kinds of briefings are taking place. That's not my point. My point is you got to wait to gather the information. And when you're the chairman of a powerful committee and you do something like this, you undermine our country and you undermine their country because you don't really know squat. That's why there are reviews after the fact. Military operations, intelligence operations. How did we miss this? How did we miss that? You don't just pop off because... The Egyptians are putting out all this information, and he had a briefing from U.S. intelligence, and, you know, we saw this text, and we saw that. You don't know a damn thing. You certainly don't know all of it, and you should know better than to gather all the information before you pop up. This is a dumb man. This is a rhino. He's absolutely in the wrong position as chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Absolutely in the wrong position. Then I watched an interview, I think it was with Cavuto, of Mark Warner. He's the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee. And at no time, in fact, let me change that, he defended the $6 billion going to the Iranians. They have the same talking points. Well, it's not really to the Iranians, it's not really our money, it goes in the account over here, it's not part of it, so why not freeze it? He didn't want to freeze it, or he wouldn't, he wouldn't be pinned down on it. Now, this is illustrative of something that's been going on all over the media with the Democrats and the liberals, even those who have condemned what's taking place, which isn't all of them. Some will condemn Hamas, but defend the Palestinians. You know... Abbas, he's moderate. He's over there, the Palestinian. No, he's not. He's a terrorist. And we specifically passed laws that prevented him from giving enormous pensions to Palestinian terrorists from the Palestinian Authority who were slaughtering Jews and, by the way, Americans like Taylor Force. And so 
The United States Congress had had enough of it. They passed the Taylor Force Act, which prevents hundreds of millions of dollars a year from going to the Palestinians, primarily the Palestinian Authority. Why? Because it gives pensions to terrorists. And the more Jews you kill, the bigger the terrorists. A a pension. Shouldn't that be condemned, Democrats and liberals on TV? Shouldn't you condemn that? Because Donald Trump said, no, I'm signing that law. And Joe Biden said, guess what I'm doing? I'm contravening that law. And a federal judge basically ruled that yesterday. But the Democrats and the liberals on TV, the guests and the hosts, you don't hear crap about that. Now we have so-called moderate Democrat senators putting out almost exactly the same DNC-written talking points. If Iran is found to have been involved in these terrorist activities against Israel, then we should freeze the $6 billion. Oh, how courageous. And their statements are almost exactly the same. Oh, that's very courageous. Cynically political, the worst kind. Okay. How come you don't issue a press release that states that the Biden administration, the Democrats, need to enforce the Trump sanctions, oil sanctions, that were placed on Iran, which enabled, when Biden reversed it, Iran to get $70 billion that it didn't have before, selling their oil to China and Venezuela and Russia and Syria to rearm itself and build up its terrorist war machine. How come you don't put out a statement condemning that? This is what I mean. How come I haven't heard a single Democrat liberal on any of the cable channels condemn that? And how come, having screwed this up, they're not demanding right now that Biden enforce those sanctions? Where's that press release? Where's that statement, liberals and Democrats on TV? Nowhere. Nothing. And how many liberals and Democrats on TV have condemned Joe Biden for the murder of 100,000 American citizens as a result of fentanyl coming over our open border? Or the rapes and the murders and the sex slavery? How come they don't put out a statement? Or how come the Democrat liberals on TV don't say, okay, I'm a Democrat, I'm a liberal, we need to reverse course, secure the damn border, we see what's happened in the Middle East now and in Israel and so forth. Nothing. Zippo. Why is that? Because you're a Democrat first. Country second. Our country second. Every other country. Second, third, fifth, doesn't matter. Because that's your religion. That's your faith. That's your ideology. It's always about power. Regardless of the costs. And so now what we're hearing is from people like that. The atrocities are horrific, monstrous. You mentioned Biden, but, and the Praetorian Guard steps in. No, 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 you don't understand. You don't understand. What don't we understand? Mark Levin. Great one makes your weekend even better. This is the best of Mark Levin. I have a question for you. 
How many people died as a, as a result of the New York Times covering up the Holocaust? If we're going to keep body counts, let's do it. How many people died as a result of the New York Times covering up the Holocaust? Let me, uh, let me open another one of my books on freedom of the press. These books will be, other than family and friends, my legacy when I'm gone. People forget what's said on radio and TV. They forget what's said on, online, but books last. And I write books to last not because of a legacy. I write books to last because I want to convey what I think are important points to save our country. In 1984, Dr. David S. Wyman, page 145 on freedom of the press, in his book, The Abandonment of the Jews, and he wasn't Jewish, by the way, explained that, quote, one reason ordinary Americans were not more responsive to the plight of European Jews during the Holocaust was that very many, probably a majority, were unaware of Hitler's extermination program until well into 1944 or later. The information was not readily available to the public because the mass media treated the systemic, systemic murder of millions of Jews as though it were minor news. And on November 24, 1942, unambiguous evidence of the Nazis' ongoing extermination of U- European Jews was made publicly available, but was largely ignored by the media. Quote, lack of solid press coverage in the weeks immediately following November 24 muffled the historic news at the outset. In fact, newly released documents prove that the Allied powers knew firsthand of the mass murdered Jews by December 1942. As first reported on April 18, 2017 by the Independent, a British newspaper, quote, newly accessed material from the United Nations not seen for around 70 years, shows that as early as December 1942, the U.S., U.K., and Soviet governments were aware that at least 2 million Jews had already been murdered, and a further 5 million were at risk of being killed and were preparing charges. I'm quoting, Despite this, the Allied powers did very little to try and rescue or provide sanctuary to those in mortal danger. In late December 1942, UK Foreign Secretary Anthony Eden told the British Parliament the German authorities, not content with denying to persons of Jewish race and all their territories over which their barbarous rule extends, the most elementary human rights are now carrying into effect Hitler's oft-repeated intention to exterminate the Jewish people. Unquote. In the United States, Wyman asserted two or three clear statements from Franklin Roosevelt would have moved this news into public view and kept it for some time in the public view. But the president was not so inclined, nor did Washington reporters press him. In retrospect, it seems almost unbelievable that in Roosevelt's press conferences, normally held twice a week, not one word was spoken about the mass killing of European Jews until almost a year later because they colluded. They didn't want to talk about it. That's me saying that. The president had nothing to say to reporters on the matter, and no correspondent asked him a single question. 
Roosevelt and his State Department, which was populated with several individuals who were, at a minimum, indifferent to the fate of the European Jews and others who were flat-out anti-Semites, and you'll read that in The Democrat Party Hates America, did not want to draw attention to the Holocaust. Roosevelt was assisted in this policy by the American press, writes Wyman. For most of the war, news outlets and journalists censored information about the ongoing uh, extermination of Jews or hid the information in frequent and sporadic reports among voluminous other stories. Most newspapers printed very little about the Holocaust, wrote Wyman, even though extensive information on it eventually reached their desks from news services such as AP, UP, and others, and from their own correspondents. Now, surely the New York Times, with its wide reach, resources, access to foreign sources of information, reputation as the foremost newspaper in the country, large Jewish readership, and its Jewish ownership, would do everything possible, I write, to investigate and disclose the horrors of Jewish genocide. But the opposite was true. Wyman explained that the Times, Jewish-owned but anxious not to be seen as Jewish-oriented, was the premier American newspaper of the era, printed a substantial amount of information on Holocaust-related events, but almost always buried it on the inner pages. And the Washington Post, the Jewish-owned Washington Post, printed a few editorials advocating rescue, but only infrequently carried news reports on the European Jewish situation. The other Washington newspapers provided similarly limited information on the mass murder of European Jewry. Most of the other press, outside New York and Washington, press coverage was even thinner. All major newspapers carried some Holocaust-related news, but it appeared infrequently, and almost always in small items located in the inside pages. American mass circulation magazines all but ignored the Holocaust. Radio coverage of the Holocaust news was extremely sparse. The evidence of the New York Times cover-up is unequivocal. Taking direct aim, now I'm on page 150 for those following on freedom of the press. Taking direct aim at the New York Times, Professor Laurel Leff of Northwestern University, formerly a journalist, meticulously scrutinized not only the role of the media generally during the Holocaust, but the New York Times in particular. And she's written extensively about, quote, how the New York Times failed in its coverage of the fate of European Jews from 1939 to 1945. In her book, Buried by the Times, she asks, what was it about prevailing press standards and the policies and personalities of the New York Times that led the nation's most important newspaper to discount one of the century's most important news stories? The Times was unique, she wrote, in the comprehensiveness of its coverage and the extent of its influence among American opinion makers. Because of its longtime commitment to international affairs and its willingness to sacrifice advertising rather than articles in the face of newsprint crunch, and its substantial Jewish readership, the Times was able to obtain and publish more news than any other mainstream newspapers. The way the Times published that news also had a disproportionate impact on both policymakers and fellow journalists who considered that the newspaper record. That the Times was owned by Jews of German ancestry, who would seemingly be more sensitive to the plight of the European brethren, further magnifying the Times' critical role in shaping contemporaneous coverage of the Holocaust. Professor Left then makes this damning disclosure, quote, 
The New York Times' judgment that the murder of millions of Jews was a relatively unimportant story reverberated among other journalists trying to assess the news, among Jewish groups trying to arouse public opinion, and among government leaders trying to decide on an American response. And you have Democrats and liberals today, some of whom are Jewish, not all, maybe not even most, who still defend Joe Biden, his handling of Iran, funding it, funding the Palestinians, selling out the United States to Iran over nuclear weapons, continuing his policies, hasn't made a one-degree turn, let let alone a U-turn, and they still defend him, just as they defended and adored Franklin Roosevelt. What happened here? Left writes, Professor Left, the Times publisher, Arthur Hayes Sulzberger, intentionally and repeatedly buried news about the Holocaust deep within its paper or ignored it altogether. She writes, although the war was the dominant news, it need not have been and was not the only front page news. The New York Times printed between 12 and 15 front page stories every day. Fewer than half of these typically concern the war. The New York Times first story in the Nazi extermination campaign, which described it as the greatest mass slaughter in history, appeared on page 5, tacked onto the bottom of a column of stories. Yet the deaths of other civilians, often fewer than 100, regularly appeared on the front page. Sulzberger's personal philosophical views on Judaism also played a major part in his callous disengagement from the plight of the European Jews. In the case of Sulzberger, writes Professor Left, Concerns about special pleading and dual loyalties were not purely a pragmatic calculation. They also reflected a deeply felt religious and philosophical belief that made Sulzberger resistant to changing his views in the light of changing circumstances. Being Jewish was solely a religious, not a racial or ethnic orientation, he maintained, that carried with it no special obligation to help fellow Jews. As anti-Semitism intensified in Germany... And to a lesser extent in America, he protested a bit too vigorously, perhaps, that Jews were just like other citizens. They should not be persecuted as Jews, but they should not be rescued as Jews either. In fact, American Jews who helped other Jews because they were Jews threatened to undercut their position in America, Sulzberger believed. The Times publisher thus was philosophically opposed. Really, my words too to reporting on the Holocaust. Incredibly, Sulzberger's personal dislike of certain Jewish leaders in opposition to their efforts to establish a Jewish state in the original Jewish homeland further soured him, and hence, the Times' coverage of the Holocaust was minimal. Professor Leff wrote that Sulzberger's involvement with the American Jewish community also led him to be less inclined to emphasize their fate. His antipathy for Jewish leaders in the U.S. and Palestine tempered somewhat his sympathy for persecuted Jews in Europe. So the guy's a leftist. He's an ideologue. He wants to serve the interest of Franklin Roosevelt and the Democrat Party. That's exactly the New York Times today. Exactly the New York Times today. 
the slaughter of the Jews, the massacres, we've all seen the video, Jew and Gentile alike. We've all seen it. It's horrendous what's taking place. Can we expect the New York Times to objectively and honestly cover what's happening by describing who's doing what to whom? No. We cannot. And as the Israelis demonstrate that they will not play the role of victim, that they will not let their babies and their children and their mothers and their fathers and their grandparents and their Holocaust survivors be pushed into what is the equivalent of gas chambers, of ovens, of mass graves, the New York Times will turn on the Israelis. It has always turned on the Israelis. Whenever Hamas or another terrorist group has attacked innocent civilians and started slaughtering them. And as soon as Israel fights back, up goes the numbers game. Up goes the Hamas propaganda handed out particularly to the New York Times. And you'll see it on CNN and MSNBC, which already is the home to fifth columnists who hate America and are more than happy to carry the water for the enemy, and already are. But any news organization, any, any news program that plays the numbers game and doesn't tell you that whatever consequences, whatever casualties, whatever deaths occur as a result of the Israelis defending themselves and their existence, that that's on the hands of the terrorists and Hamas and Hezbollah in Iran. That that's on their head. Then you know that those so-called news organizations are no different than the New York Times was during the Holocaust. Mark Levin. We're giving you nothing but the best, the best of Mark Levin. Now, 29 nations. Even little nations. 29 nations have sent special forces of their own or military forces into Israel to get their people out. We haven't done any of that. I came here tonight with a notice that was provided to Americans who want to get out of Israel, who want to leave Israel, from our State Department, which told them to get commercial flights and to keep your receipts. And also told them to get your commercial flights and that you'll pay for your flights. You need to reimburse the government for meals, housing, and the commercial cost of the flight. Well, before I could come on here, it was exposed, made the rounds. And this is what it takes with this administration. You have to humiliate them. You have to expose them. So now they said, basically, forget about all that. 
got to find your way out. Find your way out. Other governments send in troops or special forces or just even bureaucrats. We did nothing. And this is a good time to remind ourselves that there were Americans who were taken hostage by the Taliban that we've never heard from again. Americans. In Afghanistan. And how does this administration intend to rescue our hostages? I'd be stupid if I told you that publicly. The only reason they get a question like that is because they didn't rescue all Americans from Afghanistan. Americans know this. We have a long memory. We have a long memory on this stuff. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention something. And I'm saying this because I believe it. While the rest of the media are propagandists for the enemy, some in small ways, some in large, but they're not full-throated for our ally and the victims in Israel. I am proud of conservative talk radio. I am proud. National hosts, regional hosts, local hosts, almost to a man and woman. Podcasters, so many. The voices of liberty, the voices of freedom, the voices of sanity. The voices that the Democrats and the Democrat state constantly seeks to shut down. I am proud of Fox News. They have done a fantastic job, including its news team, including its primetime hosts. They have been unbelievable. I am proud of the New York Post, of the Washington Examiner, of the Washington Times, of National Review, of the Wall Street Journal editorial page, of the New York Sun, and so many others that are explicitly conservative publications. I am proud of Cumulus Westwood One in this day and this time. So far, so good. So far, so good. I am proud of the Blaze, the Daily Wire, the Daily Caller, Right Scoop. Breitbart, Town Hall, Just the News, so many other sites, and I apologize if I haven't mentioned you, it's not for a lack of wanting to. 
I am proud of independent media. Conservative media. Their news and their editorial personnel. Newsmax. OAN. Sinclair. I'm proud of all of you. I am proud of the hosts who speak the truth. I am proud of the guests who speak the truth. I couldn't be prouder. And most of all, I'm proud of you folks. Moral, ethical, law-abiding. I don't care what race you are, never do, never have. I don't care what faith you are, never have, never do. I don't care. We know we're red-blooded Americans, that's all I care about. We know we're blessed to be in this country. And we're pushing back. I tell you, ideas do have consequences, you see in our streets today. I will discuss this more at length on my Fox shows over the weekend. These protesters are not student protesters at all. They are violent. They are funded, these organizations, students for justice in Palestine. They're funded by Qatar. They're funded by and have links to various organizations like Hamas groups. Many of them here on student visas. Not surprising under this administration, is it? We have a problem, as I said on day one, on our college campuses. All we do is pour hundreds of billions of dollars into these campuses and we leave them alone? No. They don't get to hide terrorist activists, America-hating Marxists, behind the notion of academic freedom when these people are trying to destroy our country and destroy our academic freedom. These are thugs, like Nazi thugs. Just a different time, just a different language, just different garb. But they are what they are. And I am calling on state legislatures and governors across the country, particularly those that are Republican. Why are you funding this? I asked you this in my book, American Marxism. Why are you funding this? We know it's here. We know it's predictable. We know who they are. We know what they're doing. The idea that this has anything to do with our Constitution, the irony is they hate our Constitution, they hate the men who wrote it and ratified it, they're trying to destroy it and replace it. We're not attacking the First Amendment or academic freedom, they are. Stop apologizing. Stop cowering. Where are the state legislatures in this country? 
Where are the Republicans in the state legislatures in this country? Where are the governors? Where are the Republican governors in this country? Where's your oversight? Why do they get a free pass on these universities? Where we pass hundreds of billions of dollars of our hard-earned money. Of our property taxes. To fund the enemy. The enemy within. Why do we do that? Well, we need to stop it. Why are there 200 college campuses that provide funding, a platform, a home to students for justice in Palestine with their terrorist links, with their mission, with their Qatar connections? Why are we doing that? We talk about Confucius Institutes, and we should. But we have Confucius Institutes on our college campuses. We have Students for Justice in Palestine on our college campuses. What the hell is going on that we tolerate this? We don't have to. Don't bow to the words academic freedom when people are Marxists supporting terrorists. That's our death. That's our death. State legislatures have a role. Where the hell are they? Has anybody, any Republican, introduced a bill to deal with this with respect to federal tax dollars? No, in the House, they're still fighting. I'm going to tell you something. You know damn well I was right about this. Matt Gates and these seven other stooges, they blew up the Republican majority in the House of Representatives, they do not have an alternative strategy. They don't care. They've drawn attention to themselves. They pretend to be the real conservatives. They're the real conservatives. And now there's talk about a joint leadership in the House. I warned you about this. I told you these guys were frauds, that they're not conservatives, that they haven't done a damn thing for conservatism. They haven't done a damn thing for this country. Certainly not in Congress. Many of their names you can't even remember. And here we are.